Yeah, we're okay. live. <laughs> uh, welcome to the pilot episode of Behind the Blade podcast. Uh, something Jim Stewart and I have put together to cover all things in the cutlery industry. So this is everything from news, history, uh, upcoming events, events that we attend and give you some live interviews from those as well. But uh, let's kick it off with who we are. Jim, who are we? Absolutely, Matt. We is a word comprised of two letters commonly used in the English... I'm sorry. <laughs> I can only play smartass for so long. It's been a long couple weeks, yeah. and it's like stupid crap flies off the top of my head, and that's it. Wait, are we swearing? We're swearing on the podcast, right? I think crap's acceptable. Crap yeah. is acceptable? Yeah, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll make sure to double hit that explicit <laughs> tag when I upload for that word. So, um, who, who am I? My name is Jim Stewart. I'm with, um, I'm with Bark River Knives. Mike Stewart is my father, and he's been, a, he's been a, an icon in the industry for um, for the last 30, 35, 40 years. The time flies when you're I, having fun, right? I guess. I guess. Especially for me. I only remember about 33 of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, so First couple were a little murky, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. <laughs> a little murky, not much light. And then I just remember... Well, no, never mind. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, I, I'm, I'm the, uh, I'm the, uh, um, man, what is my title at work? What I, would you say you do here? I look at, I look at spreadsheets and <laughs> no. So basically I'm the production manager for Barker for Knives. Um, so, um, all of the projects that dad wants to do come across my plate first. We, we get together, we say yes or no. We design knives together. We, uh, we call all of our resource vendors and make sure that we get all the parts together for everything. We call distribution, get and, and gather orders. And then on top of that, so not only is, not only am I the project manager in that sense, but as far as the production manager goes, it's also all of the um, process and rigmarole that goes through hand making knives in a mid tech line. So um, and so I've been doing for a full copy of Jim's resume. We'll put a link on the website. <laughs> did, did, that sound, did that sound too professional for this? <laughs> did that sound too professional for this? <laughs> so um, I've been making knives since I was ten. And how long have you, like, loved knives? I've loved knives since probably I was eight. Yeah, there you loved go. Loved knives. My first love was slip joints. Really? My first love was slip joints. Um, I, had a, I had a slip joint collection. I had about 30, 35 knives by the time I was about nine. And that was when I really started getting into it, all the different patterns, especially, you know, the classic case patterns and, of course, the weird one-offs that you see from different makers and stuff like that. Now, slip joints yeah. are making, like, a hell of a comeback on the market. Like, I, I totally it's agree. bananas. And... To me, this is going to be a little bit of an editorial, and I don't mean to interrupt Jim's thing, okay. but the, the need for a one-handed knife, uh, or a two-handed knife, I should say, in a slip joint, the need for a two-handed knife, and people go berserk over them, and there's something about that. Like, there, there really is something to it, because I'm enchanted by them, and I can't practically wrap my head around it, but when I carry them, I use the shit out of them, and right. there's a certain nostalgia that goes within the, the quality of build and everything like that. I, I totally agree. I mean, that, that's something that kind of captured me right away. I was first, my, my very first uh, slip joint pattern that I knew was the Serpentine Trapper, the four-inch trapper with okay. two big blades, the, yeah, yeah. the clip and the spay. And uh, and then after that, I just went to, like electrician's knives and knives with bales and all sorts of all sorts of different weird stuff like the sunfish and the toenails or the elephant's toenails and stuff like that. The congresses. I love congresses, man. The one I got for my birthday was 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 really, Pretty hot. really nice. Yeah. It looked really cool. So Jim's a slip joint fan. So in case I'm, you guys I'm, out there didn't realize it. Right. Yet. I'm a slip joint <laughs> fan. So so that's 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 a, it's good to know. It's good to know. It's good to throw out there. Um, I really started loving knives like more intimately once I start to get to know it. You know, it's like when you meet the cute girl at the bar and she looks really hot, but you know, but then you fall in love with her later because you get to know her personality. But not, but <laughs> 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 the cricket sounding. No, Jim, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> no, totally. I, I mean, that's an interesting point because uh, I, there will be patterns that I have passed up in my mind. Knives that, you know, I go to the shows and I go to gun shows and I typically hang out with the old guys with the rustiest knives and, oh, how much is that one? And, you know, go through that. And then I mm -hmm. show them what I carry and stuff like that. But there have been a lot of patterns that I've passed up, not given a second look to until later on down the line, learning the history of that specific knife. And then I'm absolutely enthralled with it i'm right. obsessed with it like yeah. I, I like a pokemon i gotta catch them all <laughs> and a good example of that i would have to say is uh and we'll touch on this again later but it would it would have to 
unquestionably be the marble's ideal. I agree. Uh, and like I said, we'll get back to that later. But anyways, Jim, it's an absolutely more. iconic knife. No, I totally agree. So it's funny you should mention that. So um, the first job I ever had, I was 10 and I was working in dad's factory in Blackjack in Illinois. I had my little milk crate and I had to step off my milk crate to hit the little switch on the floor for the pneumatic vice where I were, where it would lock the knife in. And I'd stack uh, any OSHA representatives, please disregard everything he just said. <laughs> if you work for the man, that is just a tall tale. No validation whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, it never happened. So uh, allow me to continue to lie. Yeah. <laughs> <On my ass. laughs> so, um, so yeah, that, that was when I really first started getting into the construction of it. And once, once it was broken down for me, how the knives were constructed and how everything put together, it's like the magic wall broke down. And then I realized I can do this. This isn't magic. It's like meeting the Wizard of Oz. It was like, yeah, yeah. don't pay attention to the man behind yeah, the curtain. Yeah. Only I didn't have a huge head yelling at me. You know, it just kind of like discovered it. Your and dad's head actually isn't that big, all things <laughs> considered. <laughs> physically. Right, physically. Right, right, right. right. It's, it's, it's not terribly physically. So, um... So, um, since then, um, we, we moved to the beautiful Upper, Penish, upper Peninsula of Michigan, where it's, it's gorgeous up here. Um... Uh, Dad started working for Marbles and uh, Marble Arms, and uh, I became more enthralled with it because I got to visit the factory. I got to go through it. I learned the history. Um, you know, I'm not like an aficionado or anything, but I was def- I definitely love the history and how old and how far back it goes for the American hunting knife, and how and how absolutely perfect um, and, and ahead of its time a knife like that really was. I mean, it had to start somewhere, and it, it really kicked off again. I'll get in depth in right. this later, but yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Holy shit. I, I'm sorry. I know we probably shouldn't swear, but I'm going to try to keep it to a minimum. That's okay. We'll just keep it to a yeah. minimum. I'll yeah, still yeah. hit that explicit okay. tag. So. <laughs> we want your kids to listen to this too. We all got our start as kids. Unfortunately, we got our start as kids around a bunch of old crotchety swearing men. So, so, so we're playing the do, role. All you yeah, have to yeah. do is be a good old crotchety swearing man and just pretend that your kids have already heard swear words and then now it's kid friendly. Right, there you go. <laughs> so, um... So it was it was for marbles, and then uh, Dad and marbles left um, left left each other, and then and then all of a sudden Barker Renais was founded, and that's when I became like a full actual like employee, learning the ropes and everything. So I started off like every kid does as a janitor, and I swept all the floors and I observed all the processes and everything. And all of a sudden one day I was promoted to polishing guards. I'd never been dirtier in my entire life. The than, buffing compound is gnarly. Compound. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like 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 going to work and then coming home and then trying to go out on a date and my date turns to me and asks me are you wearing eyeshadow that's it yeah after <laughs> i don't care how it, you can shower right after stepping up and bellying up to the buffing wheel for a full day's work and as soon as you shower and wash up and you think you're immaculate you walk out and you look like a raccoon you're just <laughs> black and it's grease based so it just bonds to your skin so yeah buffing is no joke it's also um one of the most dangerous machines, whenever we have somebody new working for us, mm-hmm. um, we cite that as that and the bandsaw. Yeah, Argu- the bandsaw. Arguably totally. the two most dangerous machines and, in the shop, typically. Yeah. Now, table saw, so we don't use it very much in our mm-hmm. capacity. Um, the the buffer, obviously, is revolving at you know, 3,400 mm-hmm. RPMs. Some are 1,750 yeah, plus or minus. Yeah, ours are 36 and 18, yeah. the fastest slow machines, yeah. And so, I mean, these things are cruising, mm-hmm. and the safest way and i know some people are going to disagree with this but the safest way to use a buffer is without guards correct and so when you put the addition of a guard and you basically make a hyalized scoop out for a knife <laughs> that's exactly that, what you that do. flings it right back uh, at you yeah so the the thing that makes them inherently dangerous is the loose fibers you know tickling on the end of the wheel that do all the work with the buffing compound you know loaded up on the tips of those fibers they have a tendency to want to grab. So they'll, yep. they'll grab and fling pieces all around. I mean, I've thrown mm-hmm. knives into concrete. Uh, there was, uh, and you guys are going to have to forgive me, uh, and my deepest condolences to the family. About two years ago, there was a knife maker in Alaska. Uh, it was a pretty tragic story. Oh, no. His wife came out, I want to say, to bring him lunch or bring mm-hmm. him a sandwich, and uh, he was expired on the floor with a knife sticking proud oh. out of his chest, and oh. the buffer was still running. Oh. Uh, just to take a little somber tone and let you guys know that the, the buffing motors and buffing wheels, polishing lathes, mm-hmm. whatever your setup is, uh, they are no joke. No. And they will turn your face black. Yep, <laughs> yep. So that's probably the least, the least, uh, the, 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 the lesser of the problems is turning the face black. Oh, but, yeah, yeah. But um, I've seen people get really 
big stitch worthy stuff off of bouncing a guard off of the guard around the wheel that OSHA requires. Absolutely, I think a guy in your shop uh, just yeah. just clipped himself pretty good. Yeah, recently. yeah, yeah. What it does, what it did is that he was he was polishing um a one a blackjack one seven guard lengthwise, and uh. he caught the top of it. It bounced off the guard, and he reacted and pulled it back. It came back. <laughs> Right onto his finger, and it tore open the skin down to the bone. It was pretty gnarly. It was nasty. I mean, he's fine now. No worries. You know, no tendon damage or anything like that. But, but he's good to go. The dangers of knife making. Uh, Remember that when you seriously. buy a custom or even a semi-production I, or whatever kind of knife. I mean, these guys are getting beat their hell up. Oh, and yeah. all of us have scars on our hands. Oh yeah. Every single one of us have scars on our hands and all sorts of different horror stories. Oh, I can yeah. tell you, I get anaphylactic shock stories. I have knives <laughs> in the leg. You know, all, all all sorts of all sorts of all sorts of messed up stuff. But we get into that. That's beside the point. My name is. Jim Stewart, I'm with Bark River Knives, and I'm here in capacity with Matt Martin to be completely objective when it comes to the knife to knife industry, because what the knife industry completely lacks is a podcast dedicated to news and information and history and technique about knives and knife making. That's, but, go ahead. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's 100% true, because the fact of the matter is, is Jim and I uh, both have successful businesses, and we don't need to promote our own product, but we are knife Lovers. First. I mean, that is, I totally spend first. so yeah. much of my free time reading uh, books on history and different models and designs and uh, where these makers came from. Uh, I'm absorbed by it. I'm saturated in it. Like, I, it's it's the one thing that drives me forward more than anything <laughs> else is knife culture. And we know that you guys are also part of that and you need a resource to go to where you can hear some spoken words and you can hear some stuff that maybe even pisses you off from time to time. But the bottom line is, is that we all love this. So let's talk about it. Let's get out there. Let's discuss it. And there, uh, there isn't like a formal community for stuff like that. There's there's occasional Facebook posts and a couple of good spots in that Facebook post, like Knife Gods on Facebook and and stuff like that. But but as far as like one giant communal place that's not biased one way or the other, that do, that doesn't exist until now. It's mostly safety driven because yes, there are a lot of Facebook groups, a lot of posts. We all talk to each other. You know, however many friends or followers or whatever the hell you call them these days, uh, we all have those. But you cannot. Facebook when you're driving on a road trip or working in your shop. That's when you listen to the podcast because now you get so we're ba- okay. So let, twenty-four hour access. Let's be honest. Podcast. Yeah. Never one. Number one, you can download it at your own pace. Number two, we're trying to save your life because you can listen to it audibly instead of taking your eyes off the road or the machine that you're working on. Do you hear that, people? So, we're saving your life. You're, you're welcome. welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so. So that's me in the capacity here and a little bit of my history. Matt, take it away, good sir. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm Matt Martin. Um, I own Vehement Knives. I am the owner slash janitor at Vehement Knives. <laughs> uh, I work with my lovely bride, who is a very talented leather 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 smithress. I don't I don't know what the feminization <laughs> term leather leather. Well, she's a leather worker, but uh, it needs to be churched up more than that. Yeah, so we're like, going to go like with skinsmith. Leather yeah. smithstress. Leather yeah, smithstress. Yeah, because <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, Jen and I have a, I was going to say a baby girl, but we have a, we have a 10-year-old daughter. Ten, that was true 10 years ago, Matt. Yeah, yeah I know it, right? <laughs> Time flies when you're having fun. We have a 10-year-old daughter who occasionally <laughs> helps out in the shop and is the driving force behind the shop. We've been uh, in this industry for quite a while, but we've been uh, patrons of this industry for my entire life from the boys life magazines were coming out and you could buy survival knives off the back cover so you're just to date myself anybody listen read boys life anymore i don't think they have a podcast actually i think my son has a copy of it oh does he is it in plastic is it framed (laughs) (laughs) no no i think he was just looking through it it was just tearing it up but yeah so uh (laughs) yep i'm a major knife enthusiast uh heavily anybody who knows our work um knows that i'm heavily influenced by Bob Loveless and Bo Randall in the mm-hmm. Randall Knife Shop. And I like to think that comes through in our work a little bit, but I'm in, in that same vein. I'm a huge history buff. Um, you know, I recommend anything I say on this show, you guys should probably go and double check because I am not an authority <laughs> and I get excited and sometimes <laughs> embellishments come out. So this is not a, don't use this for a scientific paper. This is just our take on certain things, but I am a big mm-hmm. history buff when it comes to the cutlery industry. Cause I think it's really interesting. Um, I in my totally. opinion, I mean, I it's, totally. yeah, it, yeah. and in my opinion, it's this simple. Look, humankind has been judged by the the nomenclature of their era 
has right. been defined by their, I almost dropped an F-bomb right there. I hope you guys appreciate that, <laughs> by our cutlery. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. the Stone Age wasn't because we were driving stone Maseratis or developing stone <laughs> microprocessors. No, it's no. because we were making knives out of stone. Flint napping, yeah. obsidian napping. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then you have yeah. the lesser known Copper Age, yep. which again were the, the spearheads, uh, everything from farm implements to fighting weapons. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were made out of copper. And then once they decided they could alloy that with, I believe it's tin. I think it's is, tin, tin that makes bronze. Tin and copper that makes yeah. bronze. So the more uh, popular is the Bronze Age. They found out they could build a better mousetrap. This is way, this is way stronger. When I hit this guy, it doesn't deform as bad. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't <laughs> bend like a piece of wire. And so go figure. But at the time, that's the best they had. What do you want? To- <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it better than your rock. Right. You know I mean, it was good. So then we're, we're on to the, uh, the Copper Age. And then we haven't even touched the Iron Age. And all of a sudden, mm-hmm. boom, we're in the Iron Age. Again, this is not because they built their houses out of iron. This is what they made their edge tools out of. So as a race, and I'm talking about the human race, I'm not going to get into politics right now, but as a human race, we have been defined by our cutlery over the ages to the point where that's what they named that era is based on our cutlery. (laughs) So if you don't think that a knife is the most important tool in any household then just go ahead and stop listening to this podcast because we have nothing for you. And if we haven't convinced you already, we're not going to. Well said, good sir. Absolutely. I'm really passionate about this and I I get a little excited about it. I can tell. (laughs) I'm glad that you don't hold back. (laughs) (laughs) Not in my wheelhouse. So... So that's that's who we are. I'm right with Matt on this. I'm, I'm as enthusiastic about knives as he is. I'm always looking for, for, for new stuff, new projects, ideas and inspiration from 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 all sorts of different things, all walks of life, all different cultures, whatever catches my eye and whatever, whatever lines go together the best to make to make a really cool product. I really like that, too. And I really hope that to explore other people's other people's ideas. Yeah, I mean, it, for sure. And that's the whole thing is that just like we said before, um, you know, we get excited once we've been exposed to either old designs or new designs. We're always the whole purchase, the whole purpose. I try to do point and purpose at the same time, and it came out purchase. <laughs> came out purchase. Yeah. Uh, the whole purpose behind this is to kind of hear from you guys, and so we can have an open dialogue and discuss knives. And you know, if some people may MF one maker and be like, "Oh, he makes rubbish," and another, we don't need any of that. We're not looking for fanboy mm-hmm. culture. What we're looking no. for is real knife enthusiasts to engage with and speak about this great industry, which makes up. Uh, the foundation of our lives. I mean, I, I can speak for Jim and I both equally 100%, on this. Yep. The foundation of our lives. Yes, one hundred percent. Ever since, ever since, uh, ever since I was very young. I know, Matt, I know you were making knives when you were a kid, just like out of coat hangers and shit. Yeah. So, so I was. Uh, so, so interesting story. <laughs> yeah. Um, you guys, any GI Joe enthusiasts out there might remember a uh, GI Joe character named Nagahide. He came with a warthog as like a pet or something. I don't know. Anyways, That's army issue. Yeah, warthog. yeah. It was, it was an issue warthog. Yeah, it had an NSN tattooed on his belly and stuff. Um, no, it was a it was a warthog, and in his shin he had a slot for a little knife, and I lost it because I was a child and I'm an idiot. That's and I what lose kids stuff. do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so I decided to drag a coat hanger out into my mom's driveway and hammer out a little blade and then file it down to make it look like a knife. And then I wrapped it in thread, the handle, because uh, paracord was too big for a G.I. Joe, go figure. So I wrapped the <laughs> handle in thread and I, I stuffed it in there. So that was arguably the first knife I ever made as a child was a replacement metal knife That's for cool. Nagahide, the G.I. Joe. That's pretty slick. That's pretty cool. I think it was Cobra, actually. But yeah, <laughs> that's, awesome. that's awesome. I remember. I remember being very young and asking my father to to, to sharpen Exacto blades for me because I was sharpening them on my stone on, on like a stone walkway. When we were living in Illinois, we had a walk-in basement. Oh right. And then and, and then uh, I had a I had a Terminator toy. That the, this Terminator toy was like the, the the classic Terminator skeleton, the metal skeleton. But then you could put it in like a mold. The bioflesh regenerator. The bio right. I had that. You had, had the pump. Oh my! I shot that guy with so many BBs. Oh my god! It was awesome. Yes, yeah, it was a black one and a silver one. Yeah, yeah. It came out. It was Arnold. Yes. <laughs> which is a little weird, but I mean, he wasn't full frontal. He had like a molded cod piece, if you will. Right, yeah, right, yeah. right, right. No problem. That's awesome. Oh yeah. Um, Water break. Could I? Could I get one from you too, good sir? Thank you. I know this is bad radio, but. Oh, there oh, it is. Go. There <laughs> it is. <laughs> that's, that's okay. We're we're all adults here. We hope that most of you are 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 as well. At least in I don't know mind. what you're talking about. That what? was a water bottle. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, the bioflash so, regenerator. I totally remember that. Yeah, that's awesome. I had the uh, 
so I was using I was using the knife to actually the the exacto blade to actually uh, make models and cut off pieces of the of the models and actually I was actually using it to pry open the little thing because I was either not putting it in there right or it came broken or something where you actually had to force like the base apart to let to like get in there so I I, I snapped my tip off and I would, I would reprofile it on the concrete like I was in prison right. <laughs> yeah. yeah short on toothbrushes heavy on exacto knives so, so you make a shit with what you got <laughs> the first edge thing I ever had I actually I actually uh, I actually could shave hair with it nice because it was because it was because it was so it was I have no idea how I did it at the time because knowing what I know now it's like I don't think I could replicate that just right just knowing just knowing knowing all the right angles and how to hold everything I don't think I could do it again this is the anecdote of a knife freak by the oh, way so right. yeah when you have a guy that's like, I need to sharpen my exacto on the sidewalk <laughs> as a child. It's like, like, I bet you I can do this and have it be just, just as sharp as the ones dad got me at Blade Show. That's all. You know, it was it was cool. So yeah, dad used to buy me slip joints and I had a, I had a knife roll by the time I was 11 and and uh, it just kind of all ballooned from there. And then now, now I don't even really carry a, a folder anymore. It's just fixed blades. Yeah. I mean, so, I think you have that yeah. little, uh, the, what's the one with the bottle opener in the oh, back? Oh, the, the beer buster. Yeah, the beer buster. Yeah, that's an Evan Nicolaides ESNYX yeah. beer buster. And, uh, and that's... Probably the nicest slip joint that I've ever. It's pretty hot. Yeah, I it's took a look cool. at it. It is pretty hot. Yeah, I, I dug mean, it. All of the all of the lines are, are great. The the tight the tight fit and everything. It's going good. So anyway, anyway, not only do we love our own knives because it definitely influences next projects and everything. We we excuse me. We totally get into it. Everyone else's knives too. We are knife. Not everyone first. else's. <laughs> Let's be okay. honest. There's right. some shit out there that is just rubbish, in my opinion. <laughs> that and we, I <laughs> that we pass right over. Right. Yeah. That's totally true. It's yep. totally true. Matt and I are Matt and I are mostly on the same page about stuff like that. So 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 us getting together and making a podcast about stuff about this common thing that we love that we can totally talk about generally was was almost a natural leap. Absolutely. I mean, we look here, folks. Uh, mm-hmm. We talk about it all day. We do. This is this is the. First 10 hours of our day, and usually about the last three hours of our day, is nothing but knife discussion between us. And we said, well, why not include some people into it? And we know that they're, look, we're the bastard children of social media, of advertising, (laughs) of everything. So Uh you, I mean, if you're a major knife company or a minor knife company, or you're just trying to sell knives, I mean, you cannot market through modern social media because they lump us all together uh, with... Uh, like, forgive me, folks with children, they won't all be like this. But this is a true fact. And this is when we try to boost our post using social media, which is like a paid advertisement. They lump us together with porn sites. They lump us together with uh, like ambulance chaser attorneys. They lump us together with escort services. And so they mean, so you have, you have this product, which is the edge tool. And I'm holding one in my hand. This is a, you hear that? That's a 1999 Camillus U.S. military knife. They've been called everything from milks to demo knives. Where you want to know, hear about it? They're cool but, as shit, though. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's just a useful tool. It's like a scout mm-hmm. knife. It's got uh, what six blades in it? Five blades in it? Yep. Four. Four. I'm a math whiz, so you guys <laughs> have to bear with that. It's got four <laughs> blades in it. Um, yeah, they've been around forever, but they lump something as useful and as simple as this. I mean, it's got a can opener, a screwdriver, a bottle opener, a spear point, and all. Like a leather punching right. all. Obviously, it's a tool. It's a tool. Obviously, so it's a tool. explain to me why this is lumped in with escort services and why this tool, this edge tool, mm-hmm. which everybody, maybe not this specific one, but you will not show me one house in the United States or probably most likely the civil, well, definitely the entire world because the mm-hmm. the... Second and third world countries are even more knife centric than oh, we yeah, are because definitely. they rely on them for everyday survival, including hand to hand combat True, and survival tactics yep. as far as skinning animals, stuff like that. But even in first world countries, you will not find one that does not have a knife in it. I mean, there's a drawer of yep. them in your kitchen. I promise you. Yep, yep. And don't, 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 don't freaking act surprised when you go in there and go, "Oh my God, Matt and Jim were right." Yeah, I yeah. have a knife. Of, I, have, I have a drawer full. Everybody of has got a knife in their no, home, so no, I don't no, know why ridiculous. it needs to be bastardized. Anyways, back to the point. What we have provided is a forum and an open dialogue discussing these tools that we're so fond of when the quote-unquote real world won't allow us to talk about it. It won't allow us to talk about it with it's any true. efficiency it, or it's true. efficacy, I guess yeah, is efficacy. the word. Yeah, yeah no, that's the right um, word. Um, it's, it's, it's really unfortunate that they're like that, but they are like that. They've, they've lumped us all in together with, with escort sites, as Matt said, and like common criminals. It's like It's like this is how they're treating it. They're... Oh, if you own a knife and you buy knives, there must be something mentally deficiently wrong with you. Oh, it's or, a killing machine. Or, it's a, it's yeah. a killing machine. Yeah. You're a psychopath. Not and and unfortunately, all of that is true. When none of it is true, not one percent 
of that is true. We're we love this tool and we love the versatility of this tool. We love producing this tool for other people who love the tool. And it's a tool. We're not we don't we don't we don't buy them for for going out and killing people. Right. Well, and here's the thing too. I mean, there are psychopaths who are knife enthusiasts. Um, there are also psychopaths who like beer and Chevys. So, you know what we yeah. call those people? Psychopaths. psychopaths. There's nothing yeah. you can do about it. Right. So, yeah, enough about that. But yeah, just you on. guys just need to know that uh, you're in good company. And we feel that if you're listening to this, that we're in good company because we all love this industry so much. And we want to be able to contribute to it um, at least a fraction of what this industry has given to us. I totally agree. Um, so much so. Mm-hmm. New Sheffield. Oh, yeah. New absolutely. Sheffield. So, New Sheffield, that's uh, Gladstone, Michigan. It is, yeah. Well, we'll say Delta so, County because Delta we're, County. we're we're spread we're from quiet. Rapid River, which it, this is a place that isn't even drawn on some maps. So I, I, I don't <laughs> I've, seen, I've seen world maps that didn't even have an Upper Peninsula. It, it just doesn't the exist. Of Michigan, exactly. That's it. So um, yeah, ahead. so so we uh, obviously Jim has lived up here since uh, since, since 1996. 1996. Yeah. Uh, was that 21 years? Holy shit. When I buy oh a car God. from 96, I feel like it's still new. <laughs> <laughs> it's being 20 years old. Oh, oh my God. Um, so he's been up here since 96. Um, there are a number of makers up here. I mean, I, I would say this, the tip of the spear, the new wave, which is what I consider my part of, I think brought... Uh, five or six new knife companies yeah, up here. Absolutely. And that's in addition mm-hmm. to the knife companies that have already existed up here. Right. And there is some buzz on social media about, um, you know, I wanted to call it Mesopotamia. <laughs> after the, I love that name. The though. German so word cool. for Mesopotamia. Yeah, yeah, German word for Mesopotamia is knife. Yeah, or so German, of course. Yeah, so German Mesopotamia word for knife totally yeah. hits. And, so, and so I wanted to call it Mesopotamia, but it didn't work out so well. And it seems like the moniker that's been sticking on social media has been New Sheffield, which I don't know if you guys are familiar. Yeah, we, we should probably give a little preface of the history of Sheffield, Sheffield England, and, how, and the cottage industry. Yeah, so imagine that yeah. China cranked out medium to high quality knives on the low end, and in that same volume, that used to be Sheffield, England. They were the knife capital of the world, and and they would even knock off some designs. They would they would market heavily to the U.S. Mm-hmm. They basically had the same business model that China does now. And I'm not saying they're disparaging about China, but you have to respect the volume that is coming out of that country. Absolutely, and and that's what Sheffield was. Yeah, and uh, eventually it dried up. And I'll have to dig a little bit deeper into my history roots, even though I've been told a number of times. I, mm-hmm. I don't read it and write it down. And I won't retain it. But I'm not sure what caused the fall of Sheffield other than the rise of the United States knife manufacturing. Right. right. Um, yeah, United States knife manufacturing was really good because around the same time toward the decline of that started another knife company, which we'll get into in segment two. So, um, but uh, as, far as, as far as new Sheffield goes, we, we all just kind of ended up coming here. I mean, to, to this area. This area seems to hail and uh, and and produce really, really nice-looking knives. Well, look, and and, even a couple and, ugly ones. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's a mecca. I mean, it, yeah, is, it, it is. is the destination, the same wheel. Uh, I mean, everybody, dig into your knife closets. Get into your drawers. Everyone says they have a knife safe. I would say one-sixteenth of you have a knife safe. We all know that your knives are stashed all over the house. Some are in your car. Some are in a sock drawer. Some are in a trunk or a box somewhere. I, I am guilty of having a sock drawer knife, a car knife, <laughs> right. and my regular knife drawer. Yeah, and so dig into true. those, especially if you can find some older ones, and look at them. Read the country of origin on them. Read the city if you can. If some of them are marked that specifically, and, and some some of them some of them are some some of it is really good history. Sheffield's a good one. Seki City, Japan's a really good Bam. one. Uh, Toledo, Toledo, Spain. Oh my God! Yeah, that there's a Zollingen, Germany. Yeah, Zollingen, Germany is a staple. I mean, yeah, you have it, to know at least that one. So yeah, so, I mean, you, chances are one of those names that we just rattled off will be emblazoned upon one of the blades that you hold so dear to you. So what was missing was a United States counterpart, which is ironic because a lot of things came from here. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, the we'll get in, like Jim said, in segment two here in just a second. But this is really where our industry started as far as um, what we'll uh, colloquial, colloquially, colloquially yeah, yeah, refer right, yeah. to as sporting knives. Yep, absolutely. Um, that originated in this place, and it's already a maker rich area and i wanted to be part uh and this is me speaking as matt martin for my company 
specifically. I wanted to be part of the rejuvenation of that, excuse me, in this country. So these guys, Jim and, and uh, Bark River, were already up here. And we made the trek up here to be the tip of the spear of the new wave of knife makers in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And, uh, and here we are. And yep, new, here we are in New Sheffield, as people are mm -hmm. calling it. Right. So this will become the next mecca for knife makers in the United States, and I and I I really I wouldn't have moved my whole family up here if I didn't believe in it. So, so that's my which, personal. Which, it's piece. a powerful thing to to pick up your whole family and move across state for in in search of a good ideal. And right. I have nothing but respect for that. I and mean, I'm not kissing your ass or anything. I'm just saying that that's a huge that's a huge move. That's a huge and that's just a big thing. It was it, so it, when you guys are listening to this and you're like these guys aren't really knife enthusiasts, which I don't think will ever cross your mind. Know <laughs> that I had a wonderful life in Colorado and I snatched it all up, much to the chagrin of my friends. And I do feel a big gap for my friends also, uh, like in my heart. But uh, because I wanted to pursue this so strongly that I was willing to be part of what I think is going to be a big deal someday. And I, th I, I agree. I think it will be huge. I think it'll be very big one day. And I think we'll everybody and listeners included will all be better off for it. Absolutely. I mean, totally. you, you get great minds and this doesn't have to be a competitive industry. So it's, I, it's, it's, and it's not a competitive industry. I've never looked at this and what we do as a competitive industry because at our price point and, and just, just to throw this point out there, we're not worried about competition amongst each other. Like if somebody buys a bark river knife, that doesn't mean vehemence not eating that night. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, it yeah. doesn't work like that. Yep. I mean, anybody who thinks it does, you need to spend a little bit more time in the knife industry. I mean, because because there is no such thing as brand loyalty when it, when this it comes is, to us. This I mean, is, well, I mean it, does, it, it, is, it, does, it does exist to a certain extent. There is brand but, loyalty, but I mean, look, you guys are knife collectors, knife yeah. collectors are knife collectors. And mm -hmm. I mean, it's uh, it, it just isn't competitive in the sense that, it, like Jim illustrated. Mm -hmm. I, I completely agree. Cool. The, uh, the, uh, the entire thing is... Somebody that buys a vehement knife also buys Benchman knives, also buys ZT, also yeah, buys Barker, yeah. also, you know, I mean, so, so nobody's left out if we, if we do this. You just have to make your own presence. And if you already have your own presence, it's not going to, you're definitely not going to be out anything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, uh, and as, a, as collectors and enthusiasts on your end just listening to this, we already know that you guys know this stuff. But we want to make you know that. That we're definitely not going to be, you know, screwing anybody, mfing anybody. Uh, yes, yeah, just a kiss into our background. Look, I this mean, is our first episode, and we want to we want to explain to you who we are, and yeah. it's important that you guys uh, can trust us and rely on us for for real news in the knife industry. And we're knife freaks. I mean, we're maniacs yeah. about it. Yeah, we, we we tend to keep our ear pretty close to the ground because we're always looking at new at new things and new ideas, and we're always trying out. Really cool, awesome stuff, and we really hope that you guys will really like the show that we're that we're putting together for you guys. Yeah, Jim, you just got back from Ewa, didn't you? I, I didn't did. mean to cut you off. No, no, yeah. you're good. You're good. I, I actually didn't get to do a lot of walking around. Oh, tied to the booth. I was tied to the booth. What is Ewa? So Ewa, Ewa. Um, I can't remember the exact the exact definition of the name, but it's definitely German. Um, International Waffen Association or something like that. So it's IWA. It's basically you know what Shot Show is. Of course, you know what Shot Show is. Everybody, everybody who knows knives knows what Shot Show is. This is Shot Show, but in the European Union, and it's bigger than Shot Show. So is it really? Is it bigger, big? It's, it's no bigger shit. than Shot Show. No, yeah. I'm surprised it's to bigger. hear that. It's something like 35,000 people. Wow. Just this, this massive number. I'm not quite sure what Shot Show's numbers are, but right. but but uh, for the yeah. sake of the story, it's for less than story, twenty-five, thirty thousand. <laughs> 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 right. So so um so yeah, it's over in Nuremberg, Germany. We've gone every year for like the last seven years, and and we always have a really good time. We always have a smaller booth sat right there to help boost our international sales. We, not propped up is the wrong word, we got into a business relationship with um, a knife distributor who was already distributing knives, um, but she was more of a dealer. So we had, we had convinced her, well actually she asked us, she's like, hey, we would like to, we would really like to start carrying your knives. And, and we said, we will only deal business with you if you do, a, if you're a distributor. So she said, no problem, we'll ramp up. And so she started buying more knives and all of a sudden she became a distributor and she took over the entire European Union. She's got a duty free section in her shop where she keeps vat free, you know, vat free knives and everything. So she's, she's our go-to person. She takes care of that entire I'm assuming section. she distributes other manufacturers other than yours also, Oh, right? of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah, she's yeah. a knife Definitely. purveyor in, in Europe. 
Absolutely, uh, absolutely. She has her own dealer dealer style retail store, but she but she gets a lot of her business also from distribution for other dealers as well. So and, to the Euros that are listening to the European to folk, the Euros. I don't know what you guys are called. I don't I, look, I'm gonna I'm gonna bro it up. I'm an American. What can I say? I'm gonna be like to the Euros. Um, to the Euros that are listening, I do you know the name of her outfit where they can stop yes. in? Yes, it is her name is her name is Jenny Dopkin from Klingenvelt. And uh, it's, I believe I believe the website is just klingenwelt.de. Okay. So, which uh, in German translates and, to Blade World. And you, you Deutscher <laughs> should be able to spell that because I sure as hell can. Um, <laughs> I can spell it because I've seen it a million times. And so, we, yeah, I mean, look, anytime that there's one of these podcasts going on, a lot of the stuff is strictly domestic. So, yep. you guys are looking for a hookup for some high quality cutlery from a number of different makers and manufacturers. Go check out Jenny at Klingenvelt. There you go. And she didn't even pay us for that. That was just a freebie. So well, yeah. Well, we're just like her. We're just satisfied. Yeah, we're just like her. We're just like her. She's, um, she's the sweetest person on the planet. I swear to God, it's great. Um, so, so yeah. So Iwa, it was very good. So it houses everything outdoors, just like Shot Show. Everything from, of course, knives and sharpening and stones and uh, to and, real tree camo g strings. Well, I didn't see any G-strings there. That's because they were <laughs> camouflaged, Jim. Oh, yeah. my God. Oh, my God. So, so it's, but it's backpacks, it's shoes, it's it's a Remington, Browning, Ruger, Walther's booths and everybody. And then also there's uh, Kriegoff's booth and and other $25,000, $50,000 shotguns. Oh, and no wonder you recognize the name. I'm not in the oh market for $50,000 shotguns. Well, when we when we had the shooting range forever <laughs> ago, there was there was two guys who had Kriegoff K80s, and I believe they were $30,000 shotguns. Holy you God. know, absolutely beautiful Turkish walnut custom fit stocks over under shotguns at 12 gauge, and they were they were unbelievably um, unbelievably expensive. I was still a better shot with them with my Browning 325. That's why. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the gun doesn't make the shooter. You know, right? <laughs> At least those people who can't afford the thirty thousand dollars shotguns. We that's how we justify it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're not sour grapes. They're just yeah. mildly dry grapes. Right. <laughs> they, they still taste fine. <laughs> so um, yeah, went to went to Iwa, and it's great because all the all the major vendors are there. Gerber, of course, has basically half of one of the buildings. Oh wow! They, no kidding. It's a massive, massive, uh, massive booth. I mean, Bear Grylls face everywhere. Over the top of it, they do what they do an, an awesome job with their booth. It's like imposing. It's like being in the Millennium Falcon and looking at a Star Destroyer. Is <laughs> <laughs> is what that is. So yeah. Also side also side note, I'm a huge nerd. I'm a massive nerd. I'm a video game Star Wars loving nerd. He's right, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's like I like knives. Yeah. <laughs> I also like knives with the same level of fervor he does. But you know, but you know, that's my distraction. Anyway, anyway, it's massive. So it's this huge booth. Benchmade booths is uh, probably about three times the size of ours. As it goes, it's probably maybe 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 ten by three meters. <laughs> meters. Me, well, it was in yeah. Europe, so it has to be in metric. Right, right. <laughs> right. metric over there. But okay, um, the seven, but that's, uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> do quick the calculation. So um, I got to see Benchmade's new slip joint. Um, I got to see um, a couple of new knives. Oh, did they launch? Did they launch a slip joint? Yeah, yeah. Oh, or, nice. or if it's not out yet, it's probably available for pre-order. It's this, okay. it's this very very cool looking slip joint. Um, um, I have my own opinion about it. But but as far as as far as marketability and what it does, it's perfect. It's great. Nice. Uh, definitely very cool. And I highly recommend that if you guys are slip joint guys, definitely check the knife out. It's pretty cool. So um, let's see what else. What else? Actually, my uh, my sister and our our, our Belgian friend Michiel and and her boyfriend Nick actually just went shooting twice. A Not Michiel's boyfriend, by the way. Just in case you guys uh, are curious. Did I did I mix S- that up? Sister's boyfriend. S- my <laughs> sister Jackie's boyfriend, who is a straight dude. got into it um they go shooting they go they got there's a laser shooting tag thing like a laser tag shooting thing they went twice a day to that they had a great time and as and as as always the food the beer and the camaraderie is always excellent over in germany 100 of the people that you meet are always super nice it's a good time it's a really good time matt you should definitely go with us that's cool yeah i'd like to i'd like to make it out there next year i think it would definitely be a cool be a cool thing and and to meet jenny Jenny and her husband Lotar. Personally, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm still gearing up for Blade this year. Uh, oh and yeah. After the move to New Sheffield, we're still trying to get our bearings. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking of New Sheffield, yeah, because that's the that's the point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Rain it in, man. Rain it in. Um, uh, another historic person in the knife industry. Uh, I think we're. I'm going to be very frank. I think we're about time for yeah. segment Let's two right now. Let's take a quick break, and then okay. we'll be right back with segment two. Yeah. Our history lesson.
back, stretched our legs for a couple seconds, ah. and uh, took in a breath of fresh air mixed with some nicotine. Agreed. And um, this is the second, it's not an entirely formal segment of the podcast, but it is something we'd like to touch on because, as I said in the first segment, I'm a bit of a history buff. And we thought it was important to include a little bit of history into the fold. You it's know totally what I mean? Totally important. Yep. Yeah. And it's, uh, mm-hmm. look, there are, are so few new, innovative, but useful designs out there. There's a lot of innovation out there, if you want to call it that. But let's let's be honest, we owe a lot of our design traits and qualities to, uh, I think it was uh, famous scientist, uh, Sir Isaac Newton. Yeah. Sir Isaac Newton with the quote who says, if, uh, and I'm going to butcher this, but if it appears that I can see farther, it is because I stand upon the shoulders of giants. And I think we owe a lot of that. And we touched on it in the new Sheffield segment that we moved here because it had a historical significance and because it was a mecca for knife makers. And the truth of the matter is um, that was Webster Marble. Webster Marble yeah. is the history of our industry. It, it all starts with him. He's the giant that everybody's shoulders stand on. I would totally agree with that. The uh, he, he, for lack of a better word, invented the American hunting knife. He did. I mean, at, yeah. I mean, I think that is the perfect word because mm-hmm. hunting knife specifically in quotations writ large is the birth of the sporting knife. It is previous to that. It was um, butcher knives or trade knives, which very strongly resembled butcher knives. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so b- before that, it was very thin blades. Um, the lines were not a consideration. So when I say lines, I mean the visual aesthetic appeal were not necessarily a consideration. They were purely born out of function. And it was a thin sliver of metal that was sharpened to a keen edge um, out of dubious materials. Yeah. And that's what was Whatever widely, even the, the world famous Bowie knife. Uh, if you're looking for a really good history lesson on this kind of thing, um, I have to point to my buddy Reed Hyken, who owns the North Star Trading Post, which is here in Escanaba. Yep. Uh, Jim and I are actually in Gladstone, but Escanaba is the adjoining it's seven town. seven miles away. Yeah, it's, yeah, not, it's, it's not a big yeah, it's minutes. Uh, and that is also the home of Sharpshooter Sheaths. We often stop by. I know I stop by and talk to Reed pretty regularly. He's got an amazingly eclectic collection of knives, uh, many of which are for sale. Some of them are not for sale, but if you sweet talk them enough, you could probably put a price to it. Um, Reed is a wellspring of knowledge. Uh, in addition to that, he has got a bitchin' walk-in humidor that you can go select a fine cigar from, or a cheap <laughs> cigar, depending on your budget. And he's got a little lounge, uh, which he... I'm not going to tell you what Reed calls that lounge. But, uh, yes, I am. It is the mega neat man cave. So he's got a big screen TV in there. Uh, it's something for people to stop at if they ever come up for grind-ins or they come up to see their future makers, which I'm sure will grow in numbers as New Sheffield expands. But if you find yourself in the UP, stop by North Star Trading Post. Go in and see where a lot of sheaths are made. I know that he's made some sheaths for us. I know he's made some sheaths for yep. you guys. He, he does ha- He does roughly half of our sheath production. Oh, there you go. So for, for maybe more cover. than some. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> it's, about, it's about 20. Well, I mean, we do we do close to 40,000 knives a year, and he does about 20,000 sheaths a year. But if you're, I mean, if you're looking for Wade and Butchers, if you're looking for oh, Randalls, man. if you're looking for contemporary sogs, bark rivers, folders from case, I mean, he's got it all in a, a really cool uh, showroom that he has set up and he is not short on words so he will gladly give you a history lesson on each and every individual piece and that's why that's i mean i know it sounds like uh, inundating almost but to be quite honest that's why i stopped by and see reed is because i love his historical insight into stuff he yep. even has the famed marbles knives a lot which, of them coming back i mean that's where we all started and uh you guys may or may not know that marbles knives they were carried on the North and South Pole expeditions. <laughs> they were carried by... Now, Webster Marble was an innovator, right? He has over 20 patents. Him and his associates have mm-hmm. over 20 patents. And that branches everywhere from cutlery to weapon sites and uh, everything in between. Yeah, I outdoors mean, the, tools. The safety acts. Yeah, yeah. Webster was a timber cruiser, right? Totally. So he was an yeah. avid outdoorsman. And he would go out there and he was always looking to build a better mousetrap. You'll hear me use that phrase a lot. Basically, come out with a better product than was commercially available at that time. Uh, the waterproof matchbox. I mean, oh, yeah. the little match safes that screw together. You know, I just gave one to my dad uh, as a welcoming present when he moved up to the UP. 
uh, shortly after we did. Yep, I believe they're still made today, actually, too. Yeah, right? yeah, they're yeah. still still made today. Um, the, what's interesting about that, and it will just go into this for a second, is right now, so marbles, uh, just like many other things, the, the visions have gone come and gone overseas for production. But for the first time in over a decade, hmm. marble knives are being manufactured in the United States again. They are, absolutely. Which is extraordinarily ex exciting. <laughs> I mean, that just lends credence to everything that I believed in when we moved our family up here. Uh, but I know that their pilot line was the Woodcraft? The Woodcraft. The nineteen the, the 1916 reproduction. Yes, yes. Was, was the first model that uh, that was produced here in the United States. And and it, it is a, it's a very true-to-form reproduction. First it's model in... in Thirteen years. Yeah, yeah. That made, okay, made inside yeah. the United Let's States. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Because it was made. It was made um, from ninety six to two thousand and two, I believe. Okay. And then, and then after that, after that, um, they production just totally tapered off. And previous and then, to that, I mean, it was patented in nineteen sixteen. Yep. So I mean, just it, at the turn of the century, just past the turn of the century in the twentieth century, that's when they were really created. And Webster was extraordinarily proud of this design because at that point. He wasn't copying anybody. No. I mean, he was he wasn't even being influenced by anybody. He came up with a design that uh, with a couple pen strokes you could see as the modern harpoon design, except with a deep belly. He, I right. mean, he really thought he came out with the ultimate knife. And and to a lot of people, it is the ultimate knife. I mean, it's it's a very very good versatile. It's a trailing point, basically. To to, to with a deep belly. I mean, so deep, it doesn't have belly. that Persian look to it. And no. You guys no. look it up, and uh, I'll see if we can post some woodcraft. pictures of the Marbles Woodcraft, the old and the new side-by-side side so you can get some comparison notes. Right. We'll try to put those on the website. Uh, they, I mean, it's it's really something to see. Now, obviously, the first hunting knife that Webster put out was mm -hmm. the ideal. Yeah. And it was aptly named because, I mean, this was a significant change. It's got a deep, broad fuller, similar to what you guys would see in a Navy Mark II, or as a lot of people uh, commonly know it now as the K-Bar or the Marine Corps fighting knife. Right. And so it's got a deep, broad fuller in it. The ideal is really where that came from. Uh, mm -hmm. That was the, what, what's uh, the word, the root knife. That the was root, the, root the root knife. We heard that today, the yes. root knife of that yes. design. So, I mean, it's definitely something to look at. And I ha hear rumblings in the background that there will be a, an American-made ideal coming up in the near future. So that will be by Marbles Knives also, so, which is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, but did you know also that in uh, 1913, Teddy Roosevelt carried Marbles Compass and Knife what? on his expedition of the Brazilian wilderness. That, that, there's a lot of stuff I knew about Marbles. I did not know that. Yeah, That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the Rough Rider, oh you know, chief himself. So was, the, was a Marbles fan. That's Marbles cool. Marbles fan. They, they went on the um, – uh, so this is cool. This, this to me is my favorite one, and I'm a, I'm a major Marbles fan. Again, I think part of it had to come from moving here. I wasn't as savvy, but since I've been here recently, I've been just inundated with information, and it made me an amazing fan to realize just how deep and wide this man's innovations really went. So <laughs> you look at uh, what Charles Lindbergh, transatlantic yeah, Trans flight, flight yep, mm -hmm. uh, Spirit of St. Louis. Yeah, I knew about that. Yeah, that's cool. So he sacrificed. <laughs> now you have to understand in flight, I mean, everything is weight versus fuel versus time. You know, right? There's a lot drag. of calculations yeah. based on that. Uh, I'm sure Derek mm -hmm. could help us better. Our buddy over at uh, KnifeShipFree.com, I'm sure he could help us with that. He's a pilot himself. But Charles Lindbergh sacrificed one pound of cargo space to carry in his survival items a marbles ideal, a marbles pin-on compass, and a marbles waterproof safe, uh, match safe. And it, uh, to me, that's like the coolest thing. Mm -hmm. So that's top-tier kit. So, yeah. I mean, you think of guys gearing up with their North Face or their uh, Mountain Hardware or, you know, you name whatever Arcteryx, yeah. the Gucci gear of expeditions totally. today. That was the Gucci gear of expeditions back then. And, I mean, that's when the... <laughs> Men are made of iron and the boats are made of wood. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. that was an amazing era. And he was always regarded that way. Uh, and the company and their products were always regarded that way. So from the north to the south pole, Marbles gear was carried. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt exploring Brazil, Marbles knives and equipment were carried. Charles Lindbergh on the transatlantic flight, Marbles, Marbles knives and gear were carried. I mean, that's really amazing. And furthermore, Webster Marble. 
Now, you guys may have heard of a guy named Bill Skagel, who until... <laughs> oh, who? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> no, yeah, 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 right? Yeah, so yeah. You may have heard huge, of Bill Skagel. And we could, I could do an entire hour on Bill right. uh, because he was, he was crazy. I mean, he was, he was amazing. <laughs> in his, it, he was resourceful. Um, but either way, he was heavily influenced by Webster's work. So you can see if we were to trace all of our lineages back, mm -hmm. everything that we Look appreciate, everything you guys appreciate about knife designs, about the lines, about the construction, about, I mean, everything down to, to mm -hmm. guards, like you know, yeah. I mean, the double quillion guard, just little simple things like that, little nuances. Now, I know this stuff, you guys are like, oh, that was going on in Europe, you know, back in the 1400s. Yeah, I get that. But as far as sporting knives go, he integrated all these great design cues, and that is the that's if the, if the family tree of cutlers in the United States resembled a Christmas tree, Webster Marble would be the star on top, right? right? And then it gets wider as it, it branches moves towards out. the base. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, so let's say that Skagel was influenced by Webster, mm -hmm. and we're gonna use their first names because we're informal like that. Um, <laughs> that's a uh, yeah, Webster. Yeah, 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 Webster. Yeah, I actually knew his kids. Oh, did you? Really? So, yeah, yeah, I played it with him in school. No kidding. Yeah, I did. Webster. No, no, no. I was like, because <laughs> I'm pretty sure he kicked off around 1930, so his kids would have been. If his kids were playing with you at school, they should probably go to jail. But <laughs> <laughs> um, no, no, disparaging comments to the Webster family or lineage. <laughs> no, definitely um, not. But definitely uh, the so family. yeah, so if uh, or yeah, the Marbles family. Mm -hmm. So if Marbles influenced Skagel, mm -hmm. then Skagel influenced. Randall. You guys ready for this? Yeah. Oh, oh I'm sorry. You guys ready? Oh. Randall made knives. Yeah, and it's, it's totally true. And Jim, it, it, yep. who did Randall made knives influence? Well, it's funny you should ask me that. <laughs> I know, I'm going to put him on the spot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He, uh, he definitely influenced uh, my own father. My, your, your own father? My own father. And let me give you a story, okay. and then you fill in the name. Okay, all right. So this gentleman, sometime in the late 50s, walks into an Abercrombie & Fitch, which uh, before it was a purveyor of douchebaggy clothes to douchebaggy kids, <laughs> it was actually an international outfitter for expeditions. Yeah, they for sold high, Yeah, they yeah. sold high-quality gear for people going out and doing real stuff. So this gentleman in the late 50s walks into an Abercrombie and & Fitch and says that he would like to purchase a Randall knife. And the clerk, uh, by all accounts of the man that I'm discussing, uh, who he said was a snotty, uppity jerk, mm -hmm. for lack of a better term, he, he had no kind words to say about this man, said that the waiting list for Randall's was too long and that this man probably couldn't afford him. So he threw his hands up in the air and he got on what I believe was the Delaware Maid and in the galley was able to cook out a knife for himself. Right. And so he made a knife for himself and then he went on to be the thing of legend. So who he, is that man, Jim? This man is Bob Loveless. That's right. That's right. I'm a little dense today. We're, we're still we're still coming off a lot of... Uh, Density oh, of a dying sun. Oh yeah. my God. <laughs> Dwarf Star is yeah. my middle name. When it comes to when it comes to my mentality, but no, Bob Loveless. Bob Loveless is a huge influence on both Matt and me. I mean, he. I think any maker. I think any yeah, maker has yeah. to appreciate the certain lines that Bob brought. Right. To his 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 classic his classic drop point hunter, um, and uh, and his and his utility caper. Man, probably probably some of my some of my favorite knives that he's made. And it all and, traces back. To Webster directly, Marble, it, directly, I mean, like it, line for line, linearly. Exactly. I mean, like, I'm like the only thing that you're missing there is genealogy. At yeah, that exactly. Point. They I were mean, not related no, not by blood, but if you look at this industry, I mean, that is really so. Webster Marble, you know, was an influence on Bill Skagel. Bill Skagel was an influence on Bo Randall, which I'm a huge Randall knife mm -hmm. nut. Uh, me too. And then Bo Randall was an influence and the impetus for Bob Loveless to get off his ass and start making knives, which changed the industry forever. So okay. I mean, absolutely. So Webster Marble changed the industry forever right and that is the area that is the city we're not that far i mean what do you think we're two, a mile and a half from webster's house yeah 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 at, at we're, this point we're, yeah we're we're about a mile so so i think where the football field is now was webster marble's house on marble avenue they actually named the street after him and um we're also about a mile the other direction continuing to follow the highway and the water line from where the original factory used to stand there you go i mean so we're right there, smack dab geographically in the middle of history. I, I mean, and, and and so, and Jim, you're a martial artist. Uh, I've done some martial arts studies in my bit, past yeah. too. Um, we had a 
I mean, you guys might think it's hokey, but I mean, it is what it is. Uh, if there was a, an underclassman, let's call it, if there was somebody of a lesser rank than you who mm-hmm. just tested for an, uh, a higher rank, yep. a rank that you had already surpassed, and mm-hmm. they passed their test, it is, especially if they look up to you in any capacity or if you guys are close and friends, maybe there's a mentorship kind of thing going on, uh, it's customary and revered for the senior student to give the junior student their belt that they may have just acquired in testing. So let's just say that Mm -hmm. uh, you have this kid who just tested for your orange belt Mm -hmm. and your red belt, but you still have your orange belt on your belt rack. When that kid tests for orange belt, you give him your orange belt. And the theory behind that is it's a big honor to receive that because that belt is already charged with all the knowledge and experience Mm -hmm. and everything. So it's like a... like a, like a spiritual primer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Almost. Yeah, I was going to say token, but yeah, spiritual <laughs> yeah. primer sounds a lot better on radio, right? And so, yeah. So, it, so the idea is that you're you're using that, you know, to further your success because you, this belt is already charged up you, with all you, the energy been, and wisdom. You, you're right? passing it on. It's even better if um, if you were given that belt. Exactly. From yeah. someone else before. So, it's, so it, you're just continuing... Absolutely. Continuing the trend, continuing continuing the, uh, the giving of knowledge. So and here we the, are. Mm-hmm. Passing the torch, if you will, taking that yeah. orange belt for all it's worth, because mm-hmm. this area is so you know charged with uh, knife energy, if you want. To, and I'm not—I'll be honest with you guys—I'm not actually that esoteric or ethereal, but mm-hmm. um, <laughs> it, it's an important place, and it feels good to walk on the same dirt. I'm not going to lie. So uh, that's what's—it's amazing. Webster Marble started this industry in the United States did, for it, for all it's worth, and uh, over the last hundred years, it's exploded. Yeah, oh, absolutely, absolutely, oh, absolutely. It's, it's totally exploded. I mean, they're. What one of one of the knife makers that's part of New Sheffield? His name is his name is Dan Tope. Yep. Um, who he lives in Rapid River started making knives on his own without having any idea that we existed. Right. You know. You know. Ten miles from his house. It's in the water, folks. I mean. So. So. I mean. Just. It must be the uranium. Yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> there was a uranium mine about a three-hour drive. That explains from, from the here. glowing in the yard. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> my, my third eye, literally. <laughs> For that. Yeah. So. So, um, yeah, there, there's definitely something in the air here. And uh, making knives, there's a lot of zen behind it. And it's, it's I don't want to use the word magical or spiritual or try to relate to any of that crap at all whatsoever. But it's definitely something that we all love. And we are more than happy to be experiencing it and living it here. And, and we're just, you know, as a, as a phrase I used earlier today in a different piece of media, I'm tickled pink. <laughs> Did you see that online? No, I didn't. No? Oh no, it was, a, it was a knife shift free walkthrough video that we were doing, and I was talking about the CNC machines we just got, and I'm like, I can't tell you guys, we are tickled pink, <laughs> and so and so Derek at KnifeShiftFree.com bought, you know, just clipped that part out where he's where I'm just tickled pink, and then he graded it pink, <laughs> and then and then the caption was, Jim, what do you think of knife shift free? And he goes, I'm tickled pink. That's so, funny. So, That's great. Yeah, it was it, 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 it's it's fun. It's a good time. Um, so. So yeah, there's there's your history lesson and our geographical location right now. We're more than happy to be doing this. That's it, and that's something that we'd like to repeat from episode to episode. Now, uh, Jim has some significant experience in doing podcasts in the past, and he's got a couple of them that are going for himself. But uh, I do not have any experience with podcasts. We thought that we would marry our passion, uh, in spite of my lack of experience. And bring this together. So we've been kind of deciding, and I, just so you guys know out there in Radio Land, uh, we've put a significant amount of work into this, trying to figure out the segments. But this first episode really has to be an introduction about who it is that you're listening to, and I hope you guys are getting some good news out of it. Uh, we will be accepting emails. Mm-hmm. Jim, the email address, please. The email address, once it's working and live, will be info at behindthebladepodcast.com. Perfect. Because and, and the website by extension is also behind the blade podcast.com. So um, so make sure that you guys bookmark that, you write it down. There's a little bit of a splash screen up right now. We're working on it. Matt and I will have the website live in a few days. And the email should also be up too. Um but any other questions, find us on Facebook. I'm Jim Stewart on Facebook. Uh, you see a fleshy version of me on one side and a blue background on the other side. Matt Martin is Matt Hart- Martin from Behemoth Knives. He has a mohawk. I was going to say, I'm actually Jim Stewart <laughs> from... Yeah, but no, yeah, all messages go to Jimmy. Uh, no, uh, yeah, so I mean, we, we will have the uh, Facebook, probably by the time you guys hear this, uh, we'll have the Facebook and the website up in action. So fire us off. Hey, man, hate mail? I don't care. My name is spelled with two Ts. So just so just make sure you got that <laughs> Spell right. Spell the name right. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's all that matters. 
Um, so fire us off some questions. Uh, we also have some interviews lined up from some other makers and up and coming companies and whatnot. Um, one that we're involved with right now, it's pretty exciting, is Copus Designs. They just made Popular Mechanics, which is a big right, branch. Right, with their SDK tool, SDK1. Holy shit. I mean, this yeah. was a big branch, a big step up for uh, in our industry to, to leap over the line into mainstream media. Totally. And, uh, you know, we had a little bit of a hand, but truth is that was Johnny's baby, and he just ran with it. So, you guys, go check out Copus Designs. That's a shameless plug for a good friend of mine and a good friend of my company. I totally and agree. I'd be glad to drop that any day. What's, he, what's the URL? What's the website? Do they have a website? Um, how good is your Google foo? Let's do copusdesigns.com. Copusdesigns.com. <laughs> That's go. exactly right. what it is. Pretty easy. All yep, right. Yep, go check job. Johnny out. Uh, <laughs> you can find him on Facebook and Instagram and stuff like yep. that. Or you can send him an email at info at copusdesigns.com. Copus is spelled with a K. K O P I S. K O P I S. And like I said, Johnny's a good friend of ours. But we are going to be working on refining all this. We have a few segments written up, but we thought that it was just of the utmost importance that we introduce ourselves to you guys. Um, again, touching back on, we are the bastard children of social media and there's no place for <laughs> us to all hang out freely and be able to talk about the things we want to talk mm -hmm. about in audio format. So, um, you heard it here first, folks, this is the real behind the blade podcast and we appreciate you guys for listening. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Jim Stewart with behind the blade podcast.